0: There are never-ending mysteries in the southern United States. These rural areas have haunted hills to forgotten swamps. This is a place where the past collides with the present, and the line between reality and the supernatural blurs into obscurity. In this chilling journey, we will delve into the heart of darkness, unearthing spine tingling stories of ghostly apparitions, inexplicable disappearances, and encounters with the unknown. These are stories sent in by viewers just like you. Welcome back to The Swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and downright strange and allegedly true southern rural horror stories sent in by viewers just like you. If you have a story you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. Now... Be sure to hit that like button, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some creepy and allegedly true southern horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Korra Peak Nightmares by Chandler Hello Swamp Dweller, I'm from a small town in North Carolina, Kikora Peak, and I have lived here almost my entire life. In the nearly 23 years I have been there, I have never experienced something like what I'm about to tell you. So we live on a farm of about 70 acres, nearly half of which is woods and swampland. We have trails in the woods for four-wheelers and trucks, and we are out in the woods almost daily doing something or the other. I have also hunted those woods with friends and family my entire life. We like to go out to specific parts of the woods, which we call the Donut Tree a single tree in a clearing that is probably a good acre or so. We like going out, sitting around it, listening to music, and talking. A lot of the times we'll also look at the stars. Well, One night at about 1am during the summer about 5 years ago, it was me, my husband, cousin, aunt, and another friend. We decided to go out, listen to the wildlife, and just enjoy the night. We took my husband's older Jeep Cherokee out there, and my husband was driving. Our friend was in the front with him, my cousin and I were in the back seat, and my aunt was in the back of the jeep. When we got to the donut tree, my husband and friend got out and opened the hatch to let my aunt out of the back. My cousin, my aunt, and I decided to stay in the jeep because for some reason, the three of us just had this odd feeling. This wasn't normal for us because we were always, like, the ones that were pushing to go outside and stuff like that so we never really experienced anything out of the ordinary either. My husband and friend walked towards the front of the jeep, and they were talking. The three of us in the jeep sat there listening. Usually you hear crickets and frogs and all other sounds of the night, but we didn't hear anything. No twigs snapping from the deer or whatever critters may be walking around them. This night, it was entirely hushed. The next thing I know, my aunt who was in the back of the jeep started screaming and jumped over the back seat into my lap. When my cousin and I turned around to see what was happening, ten feet from the back of the jeep, we saw something horrifying. It was still pretty light out with the moon, so I'm sure of what I saw. It was a black figure, standing behind the jeep, probably between seven feet tall if I had to guess, and it had arms hung low down by its waist, with broad shoulders, and a man-like figure. When it was walking, it never made a sound. The leaves and sticks that it was walking over, it remained silent. It walked out into the clearing where we could see it. The three of us in the jeep started yelling to get the attention of the guys standing outside. But they were already looking at it. My husband was scrambling to get back into the driver's seat to get the hell out of there. And our friend, an army veteran who had never ever been scared over anything, was just standing there frozen. They finally got into the jeep and we got out of there. This thing just stood behind the jeep staring at us the entire time. The only thing I can describe this thing as was maybe some sort of Bigfoot. We have been up there many times since this incident, and have never seen anything again. But when we go out there at night now, we're all on edge, waiting to see if it'll ever come back. Someone is in the woods. By, not the real John Cena. John Cena. This story was recently unlocked in my memory within the last week or so and I think I forced myself to forget it because it was so damn creepy. Flash back to around the year 2010. I was 9 or 10 years old and it was a lovely summer evening in the Midwest. My buddy who I'll call Chase for this story invited me and two other friends in the neighborhood for a sleepover. As I said we were at an age where adult supervision started slipping and Chase's house was an excellent spot for unsupervised shenanigans. A relatively older couple adopted Chase. I remember his parents being in their late 50s while most of ours were in their 30s or early 40s. His father was paralyzed from the legs down while serving in the Gulf War and required caretakers. His mom was some business executive who wasn't in town too much. In addition, Chase's only sibling was much older and had already moved out for college by this time. So whenever we were hanging out there, there was rarely many eyes on us. We never did anything wrong, mind you, but typical stuff you'd imagine kids at the time would do. Shooting airsoft guns, putting all kinds of crazy seasonings and instant ramen, staying up late playing M-rated games, and all that good stuff. Chase's house was also by far the most prominent in the neighborhood. Sitting on top of a hill with a gate, a long driveway, and a huge yard that surrounded the perimeter of the house that backed into a wooded area that eventually led into a state forest. This particular night, Chase thinks it would be a good idea to set up a tent in the woods and camp out for the night. While I don't think we were jumping out of our skins to do this, we all did comply on the condition that we stayed at the edge of the woods to use the bathroom and get snacks quickly from the house. We set the tent up, laid our sleeping bags, grabbed as much junk food as possible, and hung out in the tent for the night. We goofed around for a few hours. Even after the sun sets until the sugar high dies off and the unhealthy food settles in, and we one by one fall asleep. I was usually the first to crash at sleepovers, and tonight was no different. However, this sleep was brief. I got woken up by someone shaking me out of the pitch black. As my eyes adjust, my friend's concerned face comes into focus. Before I can chew him out for waking me up, he whispers, Hey, hey, do you hear that? I sat up carefully until I heard the noise he was talking about, noticing another one of my friends was also awake. It was a whistle. Somebody out in the woods was whistling. Each whistle was drawn out and breathy, followed by another equally drawn out note. Even writing about this now still gives me goosebumps. From the sounds of it, it wasn't that close, but not that far either. I'm sure my expression turned to horror as my friends woke the last friend up. We all sat in silence and listened for a minute, trying to determine the direction of the whistling. It could have been coming from the house. Maybe one of Chase's dad's caretakers decided to stay the night, but this didn't usually happen. It's not something that ever happened, actually. It didn't take us very long to realize that the whistling was coming from within the woods, and it certainly was not coming from the house. But it was getting closer to us. With that, we were out of there. We took 15 seconds or less to get our shoes on and sprint to the front porch. We left everything in there. Our snacks, pillows, sleeping bags, DS's. We didn't dare to go back. Under the light of this heavily illuminated driveway, it's like a mini parking lot. We all gained a newfound confidence. At this time, we convinced ourselves we weren't scared. So we got our airsoft guns from the garage and started to basically sit behind the trash and started taking shots into the woods trying to intimidate or attack whoever was out there. As we were yelling like a bunch of idiots, we couldn't hear anything. But at this point, we we cooled down. We listened intently and didn't hear anything more. Knowing that we were satisfied and went to sleep on his living room floor after this, after playing a little bit of Xbox, that experience was creepy and lasting. But what was most terrifying was what happened the following day. We all woke up and started talking about how creepy everything that had happened last night was and under the light of day made the walk down to our tent. As we got closer, we noticed something looked off about the tent. It had been completely thrashed. The rain tarp that had primarily been, you know, tied to everything else was yanked off. It looked like one of the corners had caved in like someone broke it. And the poles looked like they were bent in half in several places. Yeah, we had left in a hurry, but I find it hard to believe that four ten-year-olds could do this amount of damage by just running out of the tent. Making our way over to the front of the tent, my face dropped when we saw an extent of all the carnage. Everything inside was trashed. Our snacks had been dumped out and seemingly stomped on. Several of the sleeping bags and pillows were thrown into the woods and cut open. Chase's DS had been snapped in half, and worst of all, one of the sides of the tent had slits all along the side of it as if some psycho had a stabbing frenzy. All of us shockingly said little. Despite all of the bravados we had boasting about how we were not scared and we were going to beat up whatever was in the woods the previous night, the four of us packed up the tent, gathered the stuff we could, and brought it back to the house. Chase's family probably never would have used that tent again anyways, and I'm sure he just convinced his family to buy them a new one, since they were more well-off than most of us. After this sleepover, we all naturally separated as friends, It was at the end of summer of 5th grade, Chase went to a private middle school and the rest of us went to a public one, where we were then separated into different cliques. I never thought about this incident again until I ran into one of my other friends there recently when I was back in my hometown visiting family. After catching up, we exchanged numbers, and lately, after seeing a Reddit thread about submitting your own scary stories to a channel called Swamp Dweller, I really had all these memories rushing back to me. I decided that I wanted to share this story. Because no matter how many times I think about it, something still just feels off. Almost Became a Statistic by Rose Tint Okay, you know this legend, No One Dies at Disneyland slash Disney World? Not only does it sound ridiculous, but I'm sure most of you who are into morbid topics are aware that it's a complete farce. When people die on the property, Disney as paramedics jumpstart their hearts, so they're not legally dead. Still, they're already brain dead, probably never to return to the land of the living again. Then, they're airlifted off Disney property, and then they stop jumpstarting their heart and put them out of their misery. If you google it, there's a comprehensive list of every death that has ever happened at either Disney property. And let's say there's been a lot more death at the Florida park. How does this include me? Well, let me tell you. My dad was an employee at Disney World in Florida for most of his life. Sadly, he got fired from Disney due to COVID-19 restrictions. But anyway, during most of my childhood, we got Disney World passes for a lowered price and they gave me or at least used to provide me and their employees with a family discount so most of the employees would bring their families frequently i went to disney all the time as a child and i loved it at least until the accident so some kids have traumatic events at disney like seeing a guy on a stretcher or getting bullied by a duck dealing with a mean cast member or even riding splash mountain but me no I'm just built differently. So, one late night at the park, we often got to stay after hours because of my dad's employee benefits or because we vacationed there when we had the extra money, we decided to give Big Thunder Mountain a try. The western-themed roller coaster, it was a late night hurrah because it's a lot more fun riding at night. I was seated with my mom. I was probably about a 90-pound kid at the time, and she was a little over 200 pounds. So it means that the lap bar did not cover me at all. It was a good half a foot away from my person. It was just a regular ride with me being flung around more than usual, but I had my hands up, so I didn't notice it at first. But, near the end of the ride, this sudden dip happened underneath some wood structure. The dip happens, and suddenly gravity, g-force, the bar, and anything that should have kept me down, failed. I started to float upwards, and my body started to force itself into a standing position as my mom grabbed me by the hips and pulled me back down into the seat physically. I cried for dear life the rest of the ride. I never really got over it, and I haven't really liked roller coasters ever since. On a lesser note, I also gave myself permanent neck and back nerve damage riding Space Mountain on a different visit to the parks. But I barely remember that event other than screaming in pain for 20 minutes and no cast member bothering to help me. I should sue, but knowing their track record... Disney would probably win the court case. What Happened to Tex? By Anonymous. In 1970, Robert L. Tex Roberts was an aging and eccentric millionaire living with his slightly older female companion, Jesse Forsyth. On the night of August 15th, 1970, The couple disappeared from roberts dallas mansion and have never been seen again that evening roberts 85 years old summoned his friend and bodyguard al bergeron to the home on a matter of utmost importance when bergeron arrived he would discover the usually locked front door ajar and no one home although it was not unusual for roberts to leave the house suddenly It was almost unheard of for 89-year-old, infirmed Forsythe to go with him. After waiting several hours for Roberts to return, Bergeron called the police. Two days later, Bergeron received a call from a friend with news of special delivery letter from tax. The letter stated that attorney Leon C. Horton would manage his affairs during his absence. Horton filed deeds to virtually all of Roberts' real property, including the mansion on spring valley road at the dallas county courthouse it was all then sold to a management company owned by horton next horton tried to cash roberts ample holdings of stocks and bonds no dallas bank would negotiate the transaction even with a power of attorney However, one in Amarillo would, and Horton would then convert the securities into cash and deposit it into his own commercial account. Horton then withdrew the funds and sent them, supposedly, to Tex, according to a prearranged plan. Bergeron, a significant beneficiary in Robert's will, needed to determine whether to believe Horton's assurances that Tex was getting the money. He asked to speak to him personally, but Horton denied this claiming he protected his client's request for secrecy. Months would go on until in January of 1971, Bergeron received a Christmas card from Tex that was mailed from a small Louisiana town in Homer, near the Arkansas border. Other of Robert's friends would also get similar cards in the mail. All of these cards had typewritten addresses. The little nugget of information would motivate Bergeron to go back and examine Tex's signature on the card. He knew all too well that this was not the right signature. Bergeron would now begin to investigate in earnest. He would uncover another person who sold the property to Horton, an older woman who disappeared in 1969. After consulting a handwriting expert, he would take his findings to attorney Paul Chitwood, who had also done legal work for Roberts in the past. The attorney would examine Bergeron's conclusions and ultimately determine a case of inquiry was necessary. From the start, the question was a mess. Horton was supposedly assaulted in the courthouse parking garage, and his briefcase, which held power of attorney, was stolen. Nevertheless, using existing copies, the handwriting expert testified that Robert's signatures on the documents were not genuine, in his opinion. This would lead to the indictment of Horton and notary Artie Odell Reed who claimed to have witnessed Robert's signatures. A grand jury in Randall County would also indict Horton for converting common stock to his benefit. He'd be convicted of theft by false pretext if sentenced and would get roughly about 10 years in prison. Later, he would be convicted on four counts of forgery in Dallas. Artie O'Dell Reed, the notary, would vanish for over two years after being released on a $15,000 bond. When he finally surfaced, the Dallas DA's office mysteriously lost interest in the case and agreed to a probated sentence. Other than Horton himself, Odell Reed may be the only person who knows the fate of Jesse Forsyth and Tex Roberts. Never Solo Hike in the South by Anonymous I've always loved hiking, especially solo hikes where I can lose myself in nature and forget about the rest of the world for some time. So when I had a chance to take a week off of work and explore the rural south, I jumped at the opportunity. I packed my backpack with all the essentials, water, food, a map, a compass, a first aid kit, and a flashlight. I also brought my tent and a sleeping bag in case I wanted to camp out for a night or two. The first few days were actually quite amazing. I walked through lush forest and along winding streams, spotting wildlife and enjoying the peacefulness of the woods. But on the fourth day, everything changed. I was walking along a narrow trail, and I heard a very uh, odd noise, to say the least. It sounded like a mix between a growl and a grunt, coming from somewhere just up ahead on the trail. I froze, my heart pounding in my chest. I've heard stories of bears, wild boars, and all that stuff in the area, but I've never encountered one before. I took a deep breath and tried to stay calm. I slowly reached for my bear spray, but the noise stopped before I could even take it out of my pocket. I waited for a couple of minutes, but nothing seemingly happened. I shrugged it off as my imagination and kept on walking. As I continued down the trail, I noticed that the woods around me seemed... different. The trees were twisted and gnarled and the leaves on the ground were blackened and dead. The air was thick with an overpowering smell like rotten eggs mixed with something that I couldn't quite place. I tried to shake off this feeling of unease and kept walking, but when I heard the noise again, closer this time, I spun around but there was absolutely nothing there, just the empty trail behind me and the twisted trees ahead. I started to walk a bit faster, my heart starting to pick up in pace, the noise kept getting louder closer and more frequent. I felt like something or someone was watching me, following me, but every time I turned around there was nothing there. Finally, I just couldn't take it anymore. I broke into a run, my backpack bouncing on my back, the noise was now a constant, deafening roar that filled my ears and made my head spin. I felt like I was going insane. And then, just as suddenly as it had started, everything had stopped. I collapsed into the ground, gasping for breath. The woods around me were silent and the air smelled fresh again. I don't know how long I laid there, but when I finally stood up, I knew I had to get the heck out of here. I hiked back as fast as possible to my car, never looking back one time. I didn't stop until I was safely back into civilization. To this day, I don't know what happened to me in those woods, but I will never forget that feeling of terror and helplessness, alone in the dark woods of the rural south. The St. John's River Monster Chased Me by Donnie B. I was absolutely ecstatic to kayak down the St. John's River in Florida. I had heard that it was one of the state's most beautiful and peaceful kayaking destinations. As I pushed off from the shore and paddled out into the river, I couldn't help but feel a sense of peace and tranquility. The sun was shining, the water was calm... Paddled along enjoying the beautiful scenery and the occasional splash of water from my paddle. But as I went further down the river, things started to feel off. The water began to get choppier and I could feel something pulling at my kayak from below. At first I thought it was just the current but then I felt something brush up against my leg and it sent shivers down my spine. I looked down in the murky water trying to see what was beneath me but I couldn't see anything. The feeling of being watched grew more robust and I felt like something was circling my kayak. Suddenly, something slammed into the bottom of the kayak, sending me flying into the water. I thrashed around trying to get back into my kayak, but something grabbed me by the leg and pulled me underwater. I I tried to struggle to get free, but the thing was holding onto me very strongly. It almost felt like tentacles, cold and slimy, wrapping around my body. I grasped for air but all I could taste was salt water. I finally managed to break free and swim to the surface. Gasping for air as I did so, I clambered back into my kayak, shaking and terrified. I didn't know what had just attacked me, but I knew I needed to get out of the water immediately. As I returned to the shore, I couldn't shake the feeling that something was still following me. Every time I looked back, I could see ripples in the water like something was just below the surface. When I finally reached the shore, I stumbled out of my kayak and collapsed onto the sand. I was shaking and covered in water. I couldn't believe what had just happened. As I caught my breath, I looked out into the river, trying to see if I could spot the creature that had attacked me. But there was seemingly nothing there. The river was calm and peaceful, like nothing had ever happened. I felt like I was going crazy, like maybe I had just imagined the entire thing. But as I returned to my car, I noticed something strange. The trees around me were all dead. Their leaves were brown and withered. It was like they had been sucked dry of life, and there was a strange smell in the air, like rotting fish and seaweed. I tried to shake off the dread creeping up, but I couldn't. I knew that something was just wrong, that something was lurking in the water. That night, I couldn't sleep. Every time I closed my eyes, I could feel something cold and slimy wrapping around my legs, pulling me under the water. I kept thinking about the dead trees and that strange smell, wondering if they were connected to the creature that had attacked me. The next day, I decided to try to get some research in. I searched the internet up and down for information about strange creatures in the St. John's River, and that's when I found it. There were rumors of an animal that lived in the depth of the river, a beast that had been there for centuries. Some called it the River Devil, while others called it the Water Hag. It was said to be a shapeless being, slimy, with tentacles that it used to drag its prey under the water. I couldn't believe what I was reading. It sounded like something straight out of a horror movie. But the more I read, the more convinced I became that the creature was real. And then I found something out even more disturbing. There have been reports of missing kayakers in the area, and I think I know why. Why? Tennessee creepiness by number economy 8518 I was in my last year before retiring from the army and was going through a pretty bad divorce. My soon to be ex returned to Texas with my two girls and I planned to move closer to them once my retirement was official. I rented a small two bedroom apartment in Tennessee in a small town called Indian Mound. Indian Mound was wet way- One night, I came home around 1 in the morning from a concert in Nashville. It was early spring, and it was somewhat foggy out. The driveway dipped down, and the house was about an eighth mile from the road. As I pulled in, I saw a huge black dog standing in the front yard, and it looked like a black lab or a lab-mixed breed. It stood with its head up, and its tail straight up. It was fixated on me. I slowly pulled my car up unsure of what to do next. When it turned and ran into the swamp, I didn't think much of it and went inside. Over the following few months, things started happening at night. I would always wake up around 3 or so in the morning thinking I heard voices outside my window, and sometimes it sounded like someone or a couple of people were whispering to each other, but I couldn't quite understand what they were saying. Sometimes I would hear footsteps of movement outside. I thought it was maybe a deer or some sort of dog, or perhaps even the dog I saw earlier. But when I looked out, I saw absolutely nothing. This type of stuff continued for months. One night, I woke up to a noise and saw it was 2.57, a bright white light shone through the porch glass doors. I ran out into the kitchen and looked through the small sink window and it looked like someone was out in the swamp shining a spotlight. It was one of those high powered lights used in search and rescue. It was blinding and lit up the entire kitchen. I opened the back doors and ran onto the porch. I was yelling that I was calling the cops and to get out of here. The light suddenly went out and I heard someone moving away from the house through the swamp. The cops eventually came out, took a report, and told me to keep my doors locked and to call if anyone else came around or if anything else happened. I was hyper-vigilant from that day on and sometimes I still am. I checked behind me when I was coming and going... And always slept with the shades drawn and doors locked the footsteps around the house continued and some nights i thought i could hear a dog panting outside my window although i never found tracks or any signs of an animal in the morning things eventually did die down after a while and i was about three months away from the end of my lease i woke up around three in the morning scared out of my mind not really knowing why honestly i was sleeping fairly well and heard a woman calling my name in my dream out of nowhere I opened my eyes and realized it was just a nightmare when I heard the voice call my name again, clear as day. I shot up out of my bed and turned on the lights. I checked in the closet and under the bed in every which way, every nook and cranny of the house. I opened the bedroom door and listened out in the hallway. I couldn't hear anything and was about to cut the light and return to bed when someone started pounding on my front door. I nearly jumped out of my skin. It was like someone was bashing the door with a sledgehammer. I yelled out that I had a gun and to get the hell off my property. I said I would call the cops and I'll blow your freaking head off before they get here. The pounding stopped. Cops came out again and took another report but there was no visible damage to the door or footprints around the property. It all just stopped after that. I did actually buy a 9mm but the rest of my time renting there was actually very peaceful. I'm back in Texas now in an apartment complex in the suburbs, but I really don't mind. The backwoods of Tennessee were a creepy place. These occurrences take place in my new home in South Carolina. For some backstory, it was the year 2006 when I moved into my current home. I used to be an avid outdoorsman. I used to, anyway. Yesterday, while out on one of my daily hikes during the evening, I found an old, rotting note. After reading this note, I highly doubt I'll be back to those woods for a long while. The note read, I was out with a few friends for a get-together for a friend of mine. He was going to leave for college in a week, so everyone wanted him to go out with a bang. We were having this get-together in some private property that one of my friends, My few friends were Brandon, Kyle, Alfred, and myself. We used this property to drive around the ATVs and dirt bikes we owned. We drank for a while quite carelessly. Eventually, one of us had the idiotic idea to ride our ATVs around to make the effects of being heavily intoxicated even more extreme. I sluggishly went along. Someone had to be able to watch and make sure nothing happened to them, but it had to be me. I had drunk the second least of Brandon. I was basically, completely sober. As we drove further, a sound that I could not describe to this day began to become more prevalent as we went further into the woods. The sound became so overpowering at one point that it covered up the loud noise of our bikes. Eventually, we were all on the ground screaming and covering our ears in pain and torment. No matter which direction we ran, even out of the woods the sound would still grow louder. At this point the sound became clear to me that it was most likely a scream. Then I saw something that I will never forget. I saw these, what I can only describe as animals. They looked like pale, light grey humanoid type creatures. They had to have stood at least four feet at the shoulder. Their heads had borne the charges of dogs, but the teeth were tiny, blood red knives. The screaming noise had ceased to stop. Then, there was one creature that stood out from the other eight. This one stood about six feet tall at the shoulder. He had a much more muscular build than the others who looked malnourished. His mouth was wide open, still bearing those sharp, long needle-like teeth. But the biggest one, which I supposed was the leader, made a different noise. I could only describe this noise as a clicking noise. It may be necessary to mention that I have the most powerful build of all four of us. After my friends had been dragged away so inhumanly fast, I, I couldn't run that fast if my life depended on it, but at this point it did. But while my friends and I were being dragged away, I realized something. The screaming had stopped. After about two or three miles, there was a pit of bones from different animals, but the most common were human bones. The stench was so nerve-wracking that I eventually passed out. When I woke up, my friends were already dead. After seeing the bodies of my friends being eaten by the creatures, I will never be the same. The screaming stopped when the animals had something in their mouths. The screaming almost drove me insane. I resorted to feeding the creatures all my family, friends, and pets. All the people I know are gone. My family, friends, and even my pets are gone i think the police are beginning to understand what is going on now they've been showing up at my house more and more lately the screaming won't stop i have nothing to feed them except for myself this is my suicide letter before i jump into the place where i keep the creatures away from all society anyone who finds this note please drop the note now and run i don't want anyone else to suffer my fate now for whatever reason i believe that this note Is truly genuine more and more by day a strange screaming noise has been coming closer to my home every night that I keep hearing I I I don't know how much longer I'll be able to live here every night they just get a little bit closer and a little bit closer with my trusty revolver at my side tonight I will most likely not be able to sleep the sounds that I hear at night freak me out so bad that I can't sleep and I have to somehow find some sort of prescription drug to make it work I could hear a scratching noise in my door recently. I'm hoping that things are going to improve before I get out of here, or hopefully at least hold off until I move. I plan to move back in with my parents in a few days' time. Wish me luck, because I sure as hell am going to need it. Like I said, when I first found that note, I thought it was just some sort of short, scary story, maybe something that somebody had put there to scare people. But after I'm starting to experience these things myself, this is starting to seem a little bit more real. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true southern horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. You can also submit them at r slash thedarkswamp on reddit. If you enjoyed these stories, be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that helps us grow our ever-expanding waters. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them nearly every single If you're on the go but don't have YouTube premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite swamp dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you made it all the way to the end of tonight's video, I very much want to thank you. It's people like you that help keep the swamp growing the way it is. We recently hit three hundred thousand subscribers, and I can't express to you how grateful I really am for that milestone. If you made it to the end, be sure to comment the code word "Jumping jellybean." To confuse anybody who didn't make it to the end, the funniest comment will be pinned at top per usual. Thank you guys so much for supporting the swamp the way you do. I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.